0: I want to go to uh, Psalm 31, 14 through 16, and I want to read to you about timing. Everybody say timing. Perfect timing. There's perfect timing. God's timing is perfect. And, uh, but I want to show you that we don't really have it all completely figured out on our end. In case you didn't know that, I'm going to tell you. Psalm 31, 14 says, but as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. What a statement from the psalmist. God, you know, as for me, I'm going to trust you. I love that as for me. We have a doormat that has a scripture from the book of Joshua where he said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. He goes, if you want to serve the idols, if you want to drift off, you can do it because you have choice. We're volitional free will people. And if we If we want to go with idolatry, want to rebel, want to become passive or want to become neutral or lukewarm, we can. But he said, as for me and my house, I'm going to firm it up. I'm going to serve the Lord. Let's say this together. But as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and from those who persecute me. I like this one. Make your, face to shine upon your servant. Make your face to shine upon your servant. Save me in your loving kindness. Save me in your loving kindness. Amen. I, I you know this idea really comes forth in uh, Psalm 90, verse 12. Teach us to number our days so that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Now, I want to get right on to it because my goal of preaching is to stir you and stimulate you to redeem the time, to recognize that your time is one of the great resources of your life. We all know the value of a dollar. We know the work ethic. We know paying taxes. We know paying bills. We know buying power. We know the importance of conserving on occasions. We know the value of giving. And those are resources of our our finances, but they actually reflect our time. Money is what we get paid. It's usually per hour or a salary or per hour, but it's, a, it's, a, it's an acknowledgement of our dedication of the greater resource, which is time. And the four big components of our existence, number one, God. Number two, people, above time actually, because people are eternal and they're made in God's image. People are actually more valuable than time. People are, a lot of people don't realize that. A lot of people even put people under money. Love of money is the root of all evil, and they don't care about people even, or God. But God is the most preeminent focus of the universe. Amen. And people are made in God's image and are precious and valuable, even the ones that are unlikable. God wants us to love, even wants us to pray for our enemies. We've got such a strategy about people that we we will walk in love, we will believe God, we'll trust God that we'll get souls saved. He that is wise wins souls. Make the most of your time for the days are evil. The next one is time. And in the very beginning of Genesis, God created, one of the first things he created was a sun to give light by day and the moon by night and the cycle of days and time. It's a gift. So we want to value this resource and understand in the, uh, the Hebrew wording for God's timing for the, the fulfillment of his purposes is moed or moedim, moed. There are, there are moed, moedim moments in the Old Testament. For example, Genesis chapter 28, we were talking about that famous story about Jacob who is going between Beersheba and Haran and It's sunset, so he lays down and he finds a stone and uses it as a pillow. And I told everybody that that was a prototype of my pillow. It was a prototype before he developed the uh, stuffing. It was a little too firm. But anyway, that's hilarious. Thank you for laughing over there. I paid that lady to laugh. But he pulled that thing under his head, and while he lay down, he went into his sleep, and the Lord gave him an open uh, uh, heaven. Heaven opened. And a ladder came down, and it set up right where he was on the earth. And the first thing he saw were angels descending and ascending, which was fantastic. What in a moment, what a moment. But the best part is the next verse where God was himself saying to Jacob, hey, man, that place where you're laying down, I'm going to give that land to you and to your descendants. Jacob wakes up from his dream, and he says, man, the Lord was in this place, and I didn't even know it and it really speaks to me about some undetectable yet very real interplay and actions from God in our days. The Bible says, as our days are, so shall our strength be. Corresponding to our moments is this precious assurance that we have God's presence available to us. He said, "Come to me," Matthew chapter 11 verse 28, "All you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest." He said, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I was reading a theologian talking about God's mercies and how he had sinned. And when he was a younger man, he used the Lord's name in vain in front of some people to show off to some of the unsaved friends of his. And he got so smitten with grief and he, he committed to never do it again. But he noticed that the repentance that God provided was in a context of kindness. God wasn't shaming and condemning him, browbeating him. God actually came to him and said, man, you're in development. I don't want you to do that anymore. And it was so kind. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He's so merciful. He's no slacker with sin. Jesus died for our sin. Sin is so harsh that it killed Jesus. That's what killed Jesus, my sin and your sin. That's what killed Jesus. He who knew no sin was made to be sin for us so that we might be made right with God. So this redemption is such a great thing. It's even better than what happened for Jacob. Jacob was promised with his people a physical land. How many of you think that's fantastic? I do. I appreciate the physical land the Lord has blessed our church congregation with. I'm very grateful for it. And I see a lot of parallels with that, with Israel and the promised land. And I see that for us with the physical brick and mortar in the land that God's given us. And we'll develop it and we'll use it because it facilitates stuff he wants to do. There has to be a physical place. So, you know, it's just, there was a physical upper room. There was a physical place between Beersheba and Haran and there was a spiritual prophetic touch of God's timing. God's timing, by the way, is impeccable. Let me say something to you out of Ecclesiastes. Let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Now, Pete Seeger, the famous folk musician from the East Coast, wrote a song in the, I think the early 60s, late, maybe late 50s, called Turn, Turn, Turn. And it was recorded by a number of people over the years, but then along in 1965 came the American rock band, The Birds, and Roger McGuinn, the lead singer, wore those little uh, granny glasses, those little uh, dark, they look like uh, Ben Franklin glasses. He wore those and had a little had his bangs, and David Crosby was in the band and so forth. And uh, it was a notable song. This song is notable for being one of the few instances in popular music in which a large portion of the Bible is set to music. Now, there's some other examples. There's Rivers of Babylon that was recorded by the Melodians. That's right out of the Bible. There's another one by Sister Janet Mead that became famous in pop music. It was the Lord's Prayer. Later on in life came U2, the Irish uh, uh, rock band, and they did the song 40, which is uh, the, the 40th Psalm. In fact, Pastor Patsy and I got to go. We were invited to, as guests to go see the Vertigo Tour here at the uh, stadium. And when these guys who had been touched by the Lord got up and sang this song, tears started to flow throughout the auditorium. Hands were raised. I I don't know that that many of them were actually believers, and I don't know that they actually knew what they were encountering, but it was God's word. And it was being sung by people who say, at the end of the day, the main thing we are are worship leaders. I had a friend who had the Edge's mother's phone number and called over there while, when they first got started in the 80s and interrupted a, like a Bible study and he was playing worship. In fact, it's been recorded and I quote that Bono said the same month that he met his sweetheart, who he's married to and has been married to for since then, he met his bandmates and he met the Lord all in the same month. God had done a work and extracting healers actually from the ranks of the scarred from all that tension there in Northern Ireland. Interesting. And God gave them actually some sonic difference from the previous music that actually still stands up. And in fact, after 9-11, we had the privilege to be at a stadium with a a football Super Bowl. And it was right after the tragedy of 9-11 and they were assigned to get up and they played where the streets have no name. And the song was about two things. It was about a refugee camp in Ethiopia where the streets had no names. And it was also about heaven where the streets have no names. And so they got to singing this song and a projectionist put up the names of all those who tragically passed through that terrible attack. And it was a very anointed moment. And one of my staff members was watching on TV. I was up in the nosebleeds, so I didn't see this, but he said that the lead singer said, Lord, please fill my mouth with your praises. So there's something when these kinds of things happen that I find fascinating, that if we don't cry out, the rocks will cry out. So in this case, if we don't cry out, the rock musicians will cry out. And it's interesting to note when God comes into pop culture, early in the American Uh, movement in the 1600s, there was so much emphasis on the Bible. There was so much in in the verbiage and in the contractual interaction of business and so forth, because God was moving. There was a great enlightenment. There was a move of the Holy Spirit. There was a move of the Holy Spirit in the turn of the last century, in 1905, in places like Wales and places like Los Angeles and places like Topeka, Kansas. And if you're a student of history, you can find with fascination, amazing touchdowns, similar to Jacob's ladder, similar to the upper room. And I'm fascinated and I'm a watcher with this. I'm a noticer with this. But I'm also not overly titillated with it and I'm not addicted to it. Because I found that most of our days are chronological sunrise, sunset, sunrise, sunset. And my Bible says that we're to be ready in season and out of season. And oftentimes, we excitable modernists can get all jacked up about the in-season moments and ignore the value of the out-of-season moments. God has instructed me as a pastor to emphasize the value of each individual believer in the body and each individual day, even the seeming, dreary, boring days, because in fact, those are amazing, critical components to the advancement of the kingdom of God and to preparation for us to be available and ready so we could have those days where we said, God was in this place, I didn't even know it. Yesterday, we had a wonderful time of prayer. Patsy and I came here, we met with a couple, we prayed, and it was beautiful. And then we had other responsibilities to prepare for our son's wedding. Patsy had arranged and found a place for us to do the rehearsal dinner. So one place just didn't work out. And because of all these variables, it's not easy to make plans, you know. But God opened up a situation, and it's fascinating, actually. And we found a place. And so Patsy, being the submitted person to me, like she perceived to pray for the cousins. But she submitted it to me. But God spoke it to her and gave her that idea. And I thought, you know, I bear witness with that. But she submitted it to me. When I met her, she's so capable. She'd put herself through college. She was a high school teacher. She was a sponsor for cheerleaders. She was an amazing creative person. Very capable, very accomplished, very mature, very beautiful, very attractive. Hallelujah, don't get me started. I'm going to have to come over here because I'm in her tractor beam right now. She grew up in that feminist kind of a situation, but yet when she recognized Ephesians 5, that she, you know, in the mutual submission, submit yourself to one another, submit yourself to the Lord, submit yourself to one another, and then uh, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church, wives see to it that you respect your husbands, and then talks about the, the headship in terms of not domineering control, not some sort of weird under my thumb kind of a thing, but really it's for leadership duties and unifiers and finalizing of decisions. So she, it's an interesting thing how we work. So she said, should we go to lunch first or go and work out the reception? So as soon as she did that, I knew that I couldn't just be flippant, whatever you want to do. I couldn't be evasive, and I have done that, but, you know, it puts a demand on the anointing. It puts a responsibility on me. In fact, when you see it the way it really is, it's humbling, and it makes you want to do a good job. It's not like, hey, I'm the boss around here, you know, that kind of thing. Who wears the pants around here? It's like, that stuff's stupid. That's immature, and that's stupid bravado that just doesn't really work. But what really works is this regard when you hold one another in regard and you see the Holy same Holy Spirit functions through both genders and in, operates within single people, married people, elderly people, same kids. The anointing is so available yes. every day. And then yet yeah, so and also if we'll be led by the Holy Spirit, we can have some amazing things happen. So she said that I said, okay, what should we do? Should we go to this place first? Or we go, okay, you don't have a schedule? Okay, we can let's go eat first. And you said, well, Pastor Jeff, you were hungry. I was hungry. But I had to think, now, is it just because I'm hungry? No, we're supposed to eat first. So we went to eat. I ran into a guy that I know. Patsy said, is there anything I can pray for you about? He asked Patsy to pray for him about some stuff. So we did. And then he said to me that I look better with a mask than without a mask. (laughs) And I I actually thought it was ornery and funny, so I liked him. I laughed. So when he said, Pastor Jeff, no, you look better without a mess. It's like, no, don't back off. If you're going to be sarcastic, let's just stick with it. You're going to be mean like that. Just own it. So we sat and we ate, and then we got in the car. We GPSed and found a faster way to the place. And it's interesting because we didn't know this going into it. We found this beautiful place that's perfect for our situation. And actually, prior to this, Maddie and Kingston had gone on a date, and they walked upon it. They stumbled upon it. Not only that, prior to that even, separately from that, Megan and Taylor, his brother and sister-in-law, they were on a date, and they found the place too. And so it all kind of congealed. And when we walked up there, a guy was walking with his, uh, his two-wheeler with a really cool retro-looking refrigerator. And I said, man, that thing looks cool. It looks... How old is that? He goes, well, it's actually new to look old, but it's new. And, and he said, and he, got, he had gotten married here 14 years ago by Pastor John Moore. And, and the family has been in our church for, for, for decades, I guess. And so God ordered all of our steps. So it was like, Yesterday would have just been one of those pass-through days to get from church from Friday night to Sunday church. It was a preparation day. It's like we've got stuff we've got to do, prayer meeting, pray a couple hours, and we'll go do this. We'll take care of this business for next Thursday. But yet the Lord was ordering our steps. And in a very real sense, like Jacob, the Lord was in this place. I didn't even know it. And we just walked into the miraculous. We just walked into facets of the supernatural. Can I just tell you? that as our days are, so shall our strength be, that he orders our steps. And that, it says, the way of a man is not in a man, nor is it in a man to direct his steps, but that the steps of a man are ordered by the Lord. And he says, but as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and from those who persecute me. Make your face shine upon me upon your servant, save me in your loving kindness. There's something rich to be noted here. And that is not to number our days like in some morbid hand-wringing way. I watched this famous producer of many amazing albums and he's nervous about his age and he's thinking about, he's calculating how many more summers he has and he's like tripping out. As one of his daughters said, she thinks he's gonna wanna be cryogenically frozen so he could come back and all this kind of stuff. He's all fascinated with all this stuff. But that's not what the Bible's talking about, numbering our days like, well, I wonder how many more days I have. It's making the most of our time. And in fact, that's in the book of Ephesians. I didn't finish with Ecclesiastes, so don't even move there. I'll, I'll just say it to you that we're to make the most of our time because the days are evil. Right. Now, when the birds sang, turn, turn, turn back in the 60s, I was only nine years old when that song came out, but it resonated in me. I had a transistor radio like you did, and I listened to the music, and I enjoyed it. But I was really touched by the fact that it was God's Word, and it still has an effect on me. In fact, I'll tell you another thing. We've had four children, and our first baby was born between the first and second year of our Bible school preparation. And when she reached a certain age, we had the option to either put her in this school or put her in that school. She was born at, a, at that kind of time window where she would be either the youngest student in a class in her class or the, an older student in her class. So I was under, and Patsy said, what should we do? And Patsy's very mature. Very, she's an educator. So she, I mean, she has her teaching certificate, that kind of thing. So she, of all people, would have a real handle on that and as a you know the mother she's got deep profound guidance systems in her you know but she submitted it to me so you know what I did I packed up and went over to Lake Carlisle and I prayed no Carlinville Illinois I prayed and fasted in the woods because I had critical decisions we were in an apartment and we were believing God for a house and the interest rates were over 10% then And it was super inaccessible, and there wasn't a lot of entry-level housing. It was a crazy moment. Then there was an issue I had at work where there was somebody that was hostile against me, and it was furious, and it was super difficult. And in my personality, it wasn't working out for me. I needed the mercy of God to come in on that, and then I needed wisdom about my daughter. And I felt like, God, the whole weight of the world is on me about the timing of this. Because if I get her and it's off, is it always gonna be off? So I felt a bit of responsibility. I'd almost say even pressure. God, I gotta make the right decision here. So God, should she go to school now or should she go to school later? Do you know, as it's turned out, the Lord helped me with the battle with the coworker. He got us in a house, supernatural favor, and we got an interest rate under 10. It was like nine something, but it was under 10. It was 16. Wasn't it around 16 back in the early 80s? It was crazy. Patsy used her skills and we got, we had favor. We prayed. Even our loan officer, just, she just bowed up and became a real advocate for us. And we got into our house and we fixed it up and sold it. Made $1,000 a month by hanging drywall and draining the water away from digging up the basement and all kinds of stuff we did. In 16 months, we made a good profit, flipped it. Before all this house flipping, we flipped it and didn't even know what that was. And God moved us on to the next phase, and we got out here. But God gave us wisdom about what to do with Chelsea. Do you know, all these years later, Chelsea, we went in through, you know, everybody's wondering about education. We did a Becca VHS tapes. We did tutoring. We did Christian schools. We did homeschooling. We did, and then we did public school. We did every kind of school you could do. We did the schooling, every kind you could do. And three of the four of them have bachelor's degrees from going through college and glory to God. But the timing of it, the pressure of it was on me. And I was in the woods going, God, I feel like the weight of this person's future is on me. And it really wasn't, but I wanted to come before the Lord in earnest to make sure I'm doing my part to make good decisions so I came back and I had some directives Patsy picked me up she drove over there we only had one car so she picked me up and as we were driving back she said what the Lord tell you what the Lord tell you and it was like well I'll get back to you on that because sometimes when you sow in fasting and prayer it has to germinate and grow you don't get it necessarily that same day sometimes it does sometimes it doesn't Usually it doesn't for me, but, but in within a period of time, a reasonable period of time, stuff starts sprouting and revelation and conclusions start to occur. Because if you ask God for wisdom, he gives it to you. And whatever you're having to make decisions on, pray about it. Don't let it just accumulate and freak you out. Say, okay, God, I need wisdom about what to do with my retirement. Or I need wisdom to know about what to do with which insurance company to use, or I need wisdom to know what to do with this neighbor and this issue or 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 my kids or my adult kids or how to pray about this or what to pray about with the news cycle and what's going on in the world, how to pray about our country, what's to happen in the next 100 days prior to the election period. How do I pray for the people? How do I pray for church people? How do I pray for open doors of favor and wisdom and all that? And God will give us wisdom. Every day he's got plenty of wisdom for us. Can I tell you that God gave me wisdom about Chelsea and fast forward, she goes to Marquette High School and is the class president and graduates and, she is, and the prom queen and she gets in and she has the responsibility because she's the class president to give a speech at her graduation and over 5,000 people at Queenie Park show up for this graduation. That was when people could have graduations together and she was in the car and she was preparing. It was televised. She was in the she was preparing in the back seat because she had to give a speech. And I said to her, I, I think we should stop off at Walgreens and get you some note cards. And she said, I don't need no cards. As soon as she said that, I adjusted my rearview mirror and I said, what? I said, You just graduated from high school and you don't even know how to put your grammar together. She said, What do you mean? I said, you don't say, I don't need no cards. You say, I don't need any cards. She goes, no, no, no. I said, I don't need note cards. <laughs> Do you ever really bow up as a parent? You're 100% right. you find out you're 100% wrong or as a husband? I've done that as a husband. I mean, one time I got in an argument with Patsy. I hate to admit this publicly. I was driving along all self-assured. We had this situation. And I was 100% right. I was like, smug about it and we're driving along he's like this one i know i'm a hundred percent right and i'm not going to talk to her about it because she'll bow up on it and we'll have a continue to have the argument so i kept driving like and the lord <laughs> god visit, god does an intervention on her behalf i guess she was praying over there and you want to see what this really looks like from my point of view it's like uh nah, do i and it's like and he showed it to me he's like oh I was 100% wrong on that one. That was the only one. That had never happened before or since. <laughs> we need to ask for wisdom. Teach us to number our days, then we may provide a heart of wisdom. Chelsea did great on the speech. And what she did is she used the lyrics of Turn 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 from the Birds' 1965 rendering that Pete Seeger had written years prior. And this is our season, and this is our time, and this is our moment. And it was anointed. And she didn't need note cards. And she still doesn't need note cards, but although she does take copious notes and does put together amazing uh, work. But I want to talk to you as we get ready to tie this all up. There are two kinds of Greek words for time. Chronos. Everybody say chronos. That's the root word for chronology. That's just the dailies. Sunrise, sunset. Just the course of time, Mm, time marches on, chronology, chronos. Then there's another word, kairos. Everybody say kairos. kairos. Kairos is the fullness of the times. It is where the purposes of God that he has planned and prepared come to pass. This is where God causes all things to work together for good. This is where the steps of a man are ordered by the Lord. This is where today is a day of salvation. This is where there's a visitation happening. This is the upper room. This is the Jacob's ladder. This is the deliverance of Daniel in the lion's den or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace or the resurrection day of Jesus or the fullness of the times when Jesus came into his ministry coming out of the waters of the Jordan. I think we see in contemporary time on Azusa Street where the Lord touched the church and brought fire and life to it, the Jesus movement in the late 60s and early 70s, the the experience with the Welsh revival with the coal miners and how God did radical, amazing work on their people, how God turned the tide for some of these crazy, uh, harsh uh, civil rights changes that needed to happen in the 60s. Those were Kairos moments and so we've got to understand, teach us to number our days. Show us, God, the, 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 what the seasons are and help us to value our days and experience the joy of living. Yesterday would have been one of those chronos days just floating along. But I don't see any of my moments as throwaway moments. And I don't think you should either. Because everything ties together in God's beautiful spectrum. He causes all things to work together after the counsel of his own will. Come on. And I'll tell you what, I graduated from college. I pushed the button on one of my tests. I had to do an electronic test, 250 years of American history. I felt like my head was going to explode. The only thing I retained, retained in my head from my memory was stuff I watched on television from the 60s. you know, Kennedy's assassination on, I remembered all that stuff, you know, the Watergate and all that stuff, Vietnam and everything. But man, they were asking me about the Tammany Hall and I was mixing that up with, uh, you know, the, the Continental Congress and I was, you know, so I was like, what And I had this guy coaching me, he was, he was teaching me. It was like a speed reading a 12 inch thick book of history. And so I did this test, it took me about two hours and 40 minutes at Maryville College, and I pushed the button, I finished the test. I was not satisfied until I completed my assignment. So I was delaying, I had suspended uh, gratification, I was not, I wasn't uh, celebrating yet until it was done. So then I looked at it and the test said, you have two choices. You can find out what your test score is, but if you fail, you have to wait six weeks to do it again. Or you could push this button, find out what it is. If you pass, you pass. So I'm like, it's about 15 minutes of looking at this. Guess which one I picked? I have to know now. Push that button, I passed! I started feeling this four and a half minute endorphin rush. It started, I started floating. I think I just graduated. I walked down the hall. This lady that was watching, I I didn't even know it, but she was monitoring everything. She looked up at me. You passed. I got a, a double endorphin rush. I got out in the parking lot. I picked up my phone. Patsy, I sat in the car, turned on the motor. I just sat there. I better not drive. My legs are like jelly. Patsy, I passed. Congratulations, honey. Triple endorphin rush. Then it leaked out right after that. By the time I got out of the driveway, back to normal. Back to normal. Big rush exhilaration of all these fancy pants things. Then it's all back to work. You work, you campaign, you win the election, you get in there, and what is it all? You just set yourself up with a kick me sign, and you got to work harder than anybody else, longer than anybody else in a thankless situation where now you actually know who doesn't like you. Nevertheless nevertheless the firm foundation of the lord stands nevertheless here we are conditioned to be brave looking to the lord with his perfect timing come on our times are in his hands the way of a man is not in a man, nor is it in a man to direct his steps, but the steps of a man are ordered by the Lord. That's why I asked God, should I put Chelsea in school now or later? He showed me what to do, and as I look back now, god bless, she was the youngest in her class, she kept coming, kept coming, and then in her high school period, we, we even were led by the Holy Spirit when to put her in public school. We wanted, didn't want to throw them amongst the wolves, we didn't want to overprotect them. It's hard to be a Christian parent these days but yet nevertheless the Lord gave us direction and I stand by the decisions we made with all of them. I believe the Lord was there to help us and it could have been a whole lot worse. And they all have a love for the Lord and I'm thankful for that. I wanted them to have a heart for God. I wanted to have, have them have academic achievement but I did not want them in the course of things to dismiss the truth of the gospel. I didn't want things that were falsely called knowledge to deteriorate their mindset to walk with the Lord. So, Chelsea stands up there and preaches and the anointing comes and she reads this verse. There is an appointed time for everything and there's a time for every event under heaven. A time to give birth and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to shun embracing, a time to search and a time to give up as lost, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear apart and a time to sew together, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. And then in verse 11, it says something so profound He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has made everything appropriate, in the literal Hebrew, beautiful in his time. Can we say this? God is beautiful in his timing. So yesterday, in what seemed to be a very insignificant kind of a thing, relatively insignificant, God ordered our steps from the prayer meeting to the lunch, to where the guy sarcastically said, I look better with a mask on than off to then the humor of it and the joy of it, to then going to this place and finding all this convergence of God's predetermined, foreordained coolness and knowing that we're bringing value and blessing to a Christian family and we're getting the blessing and it's win-win and wow, to God be the glory. And the timing of it, and the joy of it, and the smiles from it, and, the, and my takeaway as I go away is, God, my steps are ordered by you. My times are in your hands. Yep. Teach me to number my days that I may provide a heart of wisdom. Help me to redeem the time because the days are evil. Now, how does this pertain to you in practical terms? Listen, don't worry about anything. No. Pray about everything. Yeah. Don't start your day lackadaisical. Get up and seek the Lord. Start to speak praise to him say the name of jesus out of your mouth i love you lord as for me and my house i'm going to serve the lord firm that up every day plant a spiritual flag in the start of every one of your days you don't know if this is going to be a breakthrough day you don't know if this is going to be somewhat of a drudgery day but it really makes no difference because all of our days are valuable and precious To us and to God. He's gifted them to us as a precious treasure, including the dull days. I've actually learned to value the in-between periods, what seem to be lulls, because they actually constitute development. They are seasons of preparation. Don't underestimate the value of, of days and days and days and days of faithfulness. We overemphasize in our our movement, days of achievement, days of breakthrough. And listen, I spent time and classroom hours and hours getting to develop to get that accomplishment of that degree. And all of that culminated in that one moment. But I'm telling you, I had a four and a half minute maximum buzz off of it. (laughs) Woo! Then it leaked out. Preparation is more important than we realize. Being ready in season and out of season is equally important so that we're mature enough and sensitized enough and perceptive enough and we've lifted up our eyes enough to listen to the voice of God so that when the small, medium, and big projects come our way, we'll be ready to respond. We'll be ready to respond. Everybody say, I'm a first responder. The Lord would rather have us all on the cutting edge than way back in the back of the butter knife. He wants us out on the water with Peter walking. He wants us out of the boat, out of the confines, out of the context of the bland and the boring. But he also doesn't want us to be overly titillated with a bunch of hype because God doesn't want us to be extreme. He wants us to be on track Steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. Your prayers matter. Your consistency matters. You're telling when you sin and you go before the Lord, you repent. Your repentance matters. Your humbling matters. Your truthfulness matters. Your witness and your testimony, they matter. Your encouragement is vital. Your soul winning is absolutely eternally essential. And church as we see it, church as we know it, church as what the head of the church has fostered, he is building and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He said he's coming back to a glorious church without spot or blemish. And he said, when I return, will I find faith on the earth? Persistent, committed, I'm going the distance. Listen, it means a lot to God when you're Steadfast. In the early church, it says something amazing about the early beginnings of the prototype church. It says that in verse 42, they continually devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. And there was a sense of awe. There was a sense of awe. And they were in harmony. They would give up their stuff and they, there was amazing Lack of materialism, there was an amazing lack of, you don't hear one person louder than everybody else, one person more showy than everybody else, somebody up one up's. You don't see a lot of that in the early church. For a period of time at the inception period, there was such a holiness and a cleanness to it. When they went came out of the upper room, there are 120 people all speaking the gospel and everybody hears them in their language. And it it doesn't pick out superheroes and it's just like God is moving in such an amazing and grand way through his people. Can I just tell you as we finish, the reason I'm preaching is because you're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. And I'll close with this. Dr. Ortnow, Mark Ortnow, was a dentist for many years and was our dentist, family dentist. And our son, Kingston, when he was a young, young person, had all of his baby teeth fall out except one. It held on. And so we took him to Dr. Ortnow. Dr. Ortnow did a full... Uh, mouth x-ray he was at this time a teenager and it was actually past the time for his shedding of baby teeth and new teeth so we were concerned the top tooth was kind of coming down a little bit we were concerned about it as parents so we wanted to make sure we're conscientious took him there he looked at it he said oh I see why he put up the x-ray and he brought me in from the waiting room and he he said this is why his baby tooth is still in there And he said, you see this right here on the bottom of the jaw? I said, yeah. He said, you see all these teeth right here? These are permanent teeth. These are teeth buds. This one doesn't have a tooth bud. When he said it, all the blood kind of rushed down out of my head. I was like, it just clipped me at the knees as a dad. It's like, oh, man. What what is that? But before Dr. Ortnow knew that I was sucker punched, he turned around and he said, so we just need to believe God for a miracle. And it was like, oh, yeah, yeah. So he stood there and prayed the prayer of faith and believed God that God would provide. Do you know that a permanent tooth formed and pushed that baby tooth out? And he, you can, he'll stand up at the door and we'll prop his mouth open and you can look at it. <laughs> God supplied it. So how happy I, am I that I get to now be related somehow even more deeply to Dr. Ort now? Man of faith, just doing his job, day in, day out, probably 15 appointments that day. Here comes his family, and he's like right there, and he engages his faith with mine, pulls me out of a pit, believes God with me for my son to have a supernatural miracle. He gets it, and he gets to marry his granddaughter. Let's all stand up on our feet. Let's all stand up on our feet. Everybody say, as my days are, so shall my strength be. I'm strong in the Lord, I'm in, the Lord. The in the power of his might. I, I am more than a conqueror. Point to somebody, point to yourself and look at somebody next to you and say, This is what victory looks like. I have the victory. And I could hear Barb Goretti over everybody else because she stopped me on the way to church and said she had a test that was benign, and I want to give Jesus a praise. It's a day of healing. Day of salvation, day of deliverance. God, teach us to number our days. Teach us to value our moments. That we would be sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit. That that each one of us would be sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit. How many of you want to be stirred, kindle afresh that gift in you? God, in Jesus' name, I pray for a fresh stirring of the infilling of the Holy Spirit in each person. I pray we have so much fun. I pray we go out with joy, we're led forth with peace. I pray we win more souls, we see more answers to prayer, and we get more victory. We are encouraging to people that need encouragement. We have a word of encouragement. We consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds. I pray if anybody's not saved, they surrender their life to Jesus now. If people are away from you, I pray they return to you. And if people feel like they're in a ditch, I pray you redeem their life from the pit, in Jesus' name.